Uh, really is wonderful to be able to gather together uh, once again. And um, just uh, for those who haven't been with us, we've been walking through a series called The Kingdom of God or Kingdom of Heaven. Um, and I don't know about you, but it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, I've really enjoyed um, hearing from incredibly gifted preachers uh, within Liberty. Unfortunately, today you get me. Um, but we really have... Matt, thank you, brother. Thank you. I needed that encouragement. Um, it really is um, a great gift to us to be able to hear from the Word of God and for it to change our lives. Um, and so I trust that, uh, that God would continue to do that for us this morning. Uh, as you would have heard over the last few weeks, sometimes these parables from Jesus are incredibly complicated, and yet Jesus feels no pressure to explain them to us. Uh, this morning, we kind of face the complete opposite uh, Jesus explained something. I could probably just read the scripture, sit down, and we'd actually be done. Uh, but just to uh, actually work for my salary, I'm actually just going to push it a little bit further um, and actually just figure out what else we can read into these scriptures. Um, and so the context of Matthew 18, which we're going to be looking at, uh, the context of it is Jesus uh, talking to his disciples and explaining to them um, that there are correct moments of reproving uh, members of the church that when things aren't going so well, that there is a due process in which we must go through in order to address them. Uh, and after he did that, he said, uh, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, I mean, that never happens, right? <laughs> if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Some translations say seven times 70 but assuming that our interactions with other people take place between 6 a.m. and 11 a.m. in the day, if you do interact with people outside of those hours, I do question a lot of things. Uh, but let's just assume our lives of interacting with people uh, happens between 6 a.m. and 11 p.m. Uh, if we had to forgive 77 times in a day, that means we would have to forgive someone every 13.25 minutes. That's how much Jesus is requiring of us to be forgiving. If the correct translation is seven times 70, it means we would be forgiving every two minutes. Sounds like a marriage sometimes, yes? No? Only the men? Yes. Essentially, it means a lot. But the interesting thing about that seven times 70 is not so much the exact number that is important. But if any of you have great memories from the Old Testament, it's a phrase that was used by uh, Lamech. I don't know if you remember his little sad story, but he killed the guy for hurting him, uh, and he used the phrase that if Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech 77-fold. Jesus used the same terminology around the zeal that a person had to avenge himself, and Jesus bringing it back to actually the zeal that we should have in forgiving. How hectic is that? So Jesus not um, blind to how difficult this is going to be for us, but him also saying, uh, that this is incredibly important for us to understand forgiveness. So I'm hoping today is not going to be a heavy in the sense that we're going to feel overly um, crushed by the word, but I do hope that it's actually going to set us free this morning. And so that truly is my hope for us. And so he says that we need to forgive 77 times. And he says, for this reason, and so forgiveness, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents, and that's an incredible amount that you'll never be able to pay back, was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children, pretty hectic, and all his possessions and payment to be made. 
So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into the prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Doesn't leave us much space for interpretation, does it? No, it doesn't. The first thing I want us to see in the story is the forgiving king. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. We see a sovereign, all-powerful king. So this slave who goes to his master, the master could do anything that he wanted. He, is, he had sovereign power and control. So in him coming to ask for mercy, he understood and recognized that this king actually had within him the power to forgive and the power to cancel that debt. The seriousness of an offense that we commit, the seriousness of an offense depends on the importance of the one against whom we commit it. Does that make sense? The seriousness of an offense, so the very same action that I could take, if I slapped Matt, which I would never do, <laughs> he thinks it's fine, Matt. If I slapped Matt and he went to the police and said, this guy's assaulting me, they would charge me with assault, right? If, however, as he took me to the police station, I slapped the policeman, there would be a little bit more of some serious consequences. If, however, in the United Kingdom, I went and slapped the king, no queen anymore, remember, king, there would be far greater consequences. I mean, slapping the queen would just be wrong. I mean, let's just put it that way. But the consequence of the exact same action that I would perform with my body, the consequence depends on the importance of the person against whom we commit that offense. And so it was not uncommon for treason against an earthly king to result in a person being killed, right? Just even the thought of trying to get a king off the throne, even if they never actually did anything, if they planned it, was enough for the king to go off with his head. In fact, we celebrate 5th of November. We don't really do it anymore. I'm not sure all the dogs are grateful for that, but we don't really celebrate Guy Fawkes anymore. But that was the guy who was trying to get the king off the throne and so decided to blow him up so that he could get a Catholic leader back into position. Fortunately, it didn't work. But nonetheless, he was, he was charged with treason, and they were about to chop his head off, but he decided to jump, kill himself, rather than face the consequences. So we don't celebrate Guy Fawkes. I don't know why we celebrate treason, but we seem to do it. But in essence, we have a guy who planned to get a king off the throne and was facing the consequence of having his head chopped off. Treason against earthly, imperfect, unjust monarchs would result in death. How much more severe 
when the offense is against God. I think we lower our understanding of who God truly is, and it makes our offenses and our sins not seem so bad, right? But if we stayed in a place of recognizing and understanding just who God is, suddenly the sins that we commit against Him are revealed to us in just the severity of it, not because of the size of the sin, but because of the importance of the person against whom we sin. And so we see a sovereign, all-powerful king, this forgiving king, but we also see a day of reckoning. We don't like that, right? We want to commit a sin, we want to do something, and just hope the Lord doesn't catch up with us. Surely God is gracious, surely God is forgiving. He is, incredibly so. But offenses against God have an expiry date. It's not a truth that we like to hear. We just want this infinitely forgiving God, right? Who we can commit sins and just, you know, just bide our time. Lord, I'll repent one day. But what he's saying here is that there is a day of reckoning. That there will come a day when his patience expires. He is incredibly patient and incredibly merciful. If we went around this room, we could just speak all day about how merciful God has been to us in our lives. Not only have many of us not paid for sins we've committed, it seems like when we are in sin, God is even kinder to us. Have you ever noticed that? He blesses you way beyond what he should be doing. Not even not disciplining us, but he actually blesses us. He is incredibly merciful. He is incredibly kind. But there is a day of reckoning ahead for us. We see an unpayable account. So it's not that our sin against God is the small little thing that, oh, we can make up for it. But we see the magnitude of our sin against God where we see Paul writing in Romans, for the wages of sin against God is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm so glad he added that part. Not just that the wages of sin are death, but it's because of the magnitude of God that our sins against him become unpayable. The account is unpayable. We can't settle them. And so not only does the seriousness and punishment of an offense depend on the importance of the one against whom it is committed, but pardon, release, or forgiveness from the charge lies in their hands too, and especially when we're talking about God. And so for a king to be just, he can't just wake up in the morning and go, I just feel like forgiving that person. That's not a just king, right? And God is just. When a crime is committed, there will be payment for it. And so God doesn't just wake up in the morning one day and just go, oh, I'll just forgive your sins. He had to actually pay for it. And so this beautiful picture of Jesus on the cross paying for our sins in Luke 23. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I can't even say that when I'm giving my tax return in. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture where our salvation is found in our turning to Jesus, understanding the price that he paid for us, and all we can say is, Jesus, just please remember me. I've got nothing else. I've got nothing to give to pay this debt. Have mercy on me, like the slave went to the king. And so here we see a just punishment, Jesus taking it upon himself. I often think back when, when God was talking to the ancients and telling them that the only way to forgive is through death and with the spilling of blood. As he was saying that, picturing himself on the cross, knowing that he's the one who's going to have to fulfill his own judgments. Can you imagine that love and mercy that was in him in that moment? We read it like, what an incredibly harsh God, right? But not when we understand that he knew at that point that he was going to be the one to actually satisfy his just requirements. Incredibly loving and kind God, not shying away, not getting rid of that cup, but actually taking it and drinking it. And Jesus was a satisfactory payment for the crimes against God. So isn't that wonderful news? That Jesus paid it. Now we can receive it just by turning to him and going, Jesus, please remember me in your kingdom. We see the same turning to God in our current day. While we're not exactly going to look at an actual cross, we do get to turn to him in faith and say, Jesus, we trust in what you did. Please forgive me. Please release me from that debt. When a man or woman torn to the heart like that second thief turns to him and says, just, I have no other words, just remember me in your kingdom. We put all of our faith and our trust in Jesus and he wipes out that account for us. Seems too easy, but it is easy because Jesus did all the hard work. He's the one who paid it, had to go through all that suffering for you and for me just to turn and go, please just remember me when you get to your kingdom. And so we see a merciful, forgiving king, an incredibly merciful and forgiving king. And only God has that authority to forgive sins, no one else, not the Pope, not confessional booths, only Jesus has the ability to forgive sins and to pardon crimes against himself. When Christ had offered for all time that single sacrifice for sin, says the writer of Hebrews, he sat down at the right hand of God, accepted. Acceptable payment to the king. And then in teaching his disciples how to pray, Jesus echoes this parable, right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I was thinking about it this morning as we were singing, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is what? Forgive others their sins as you have forgiven us. That is the kingdom of God. As we've looked over the weeks, we've looked at the kingdom to come. We've looked at what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. We've looked at this slow impact of this yeast or of this mustard seed that grows in our lives and this kingdom that grows. But here's an incredibly simple parable from Jesus saying that actually for the kingdom of God to come into your life right now, 
it means you need to forgive. Not easy, is it? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, I mean, I've been into the original languages. I've tried to twist this thing as much as I can. You can't. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We move from this incredibly merciful king to this unforgiving servant. But that same slave who comes out of this place of incredible forgiveness went out, came upon his fellow slaves who, owned, who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him by his throat and said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Exact same words as the slave used with the master. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. It's a lack of godly perspective that sees us keeping score, spiritual score, against our brothers and sisters, trying to make them bleed for something that Jesus already has. It's losing spiritual sight and godly perspective when we try to hold others captive in unforgiveness. We've completely forgotten what God's done for us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Forgiveness is mercy. You don't have to forgive somebody. But if you don't show that mercy, you're not going to receive it. So God's saying, you don't have to forgive, that's fine, but then I'm not going to forgive if that's fine. And surely that's not fine. <laughs> Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. His call for forgiveness to us always ties back to the work that Jesus has done. Always ties back to this incredibly merciful king who's forgiven us. He writes to the Colossians and says, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so we see this incredibly merciful king. We see this unforgiving servant who can very well be us, and I'm sure, I hope, my prayer this morning, I know you're going to hate me for it, but my prayer this morning was that as this as we were preaching and worshiping, that the Lord would highlight in your mind people that you need to forgive. Don't hate me for it. You probably will. And I hope he has been doing that. Because if we truly want his kingdom to come, we've got to live in this. We can't ask for his kingdom to come and then hold a fence. He's saying it doesn't work like that. We're going to spend our lives in prison. That's not the kingdom of God. So what are the consequences? What are the consequences of us, of, of us being that unforgiving servant? Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Not just, ugh, forgiven them. From the heart. So what is the consequence of unforgiveness? It's separation from God and separation from our brothers and sisters. That is the consequence. 
What Jesus is saying in this is that if you don't forgive and you're not forgiven, you then have broken relationship both with God and with the church, with your brothers and sisters who you refuse to forgive. We get chucked in this little prison of our own and we don't get to have interaction with the king. We don't get to have interaction with our brothers and sisters. And is that not the essence of the gospel? Relationship with God and relationship with one another. We can look at this as a legal thing. Oh, I mean, if we, we want to hold people justice. Hey, we have a God of justice, right? And I've been sinned against. I want justice. But when I sin, oh, where's this merciful, forgiving God? Just bring me that theology. I'll take that one right now. But all of this is from God. This entire kingdom is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And what has he given us? Ministry of? Reconciliation. To be reconciled with him and to be reconciled with one another. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. That's how this reconciliation happens. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. That's the kingdom working through you. Going to reconcile relationships. And I know you're thinking of your boss. I know you're thinking of your, your work colleague. I know you're thinking of your parent. I'll forgive everyone else. There's just this one. All of this is from God who reconciled us, who forgave us, and he's now saying, go and forgive and go and be reconciled. And his command to us is actually to initiate reconciliation. Are you waiting for that person to come to themselves so, oh, I apologize for being such a chop. Please forgive me. How often does that happen? Not very much. How do I know? Because I very seldom do that. What Jesus is saying is that when you've been the one offended, initiate reconciliation. Not initiate justice. Not defriend and cancel. Initiate reconciliation. He called his slave, you wicked slave. What he's saying is that unforgiveness is not a misdemeanor. Unforgiveness is wicked. It is from the devil. Because the devil wants to come and destroy and separate and break up relationships, right? That's what he started right from the beginning. Break our relationship with God, break the husband-wife relationship, break the brother-brother relationship, and just all through the centuries, breaking a relationship. And so what he's saying here is that it is wickedness to not initiate reconciliation. We give the devil a foothold in our lives. He binds us into this world where we have no relationship with God. We think, why is the Lord not speaking to me? Why am I? Yeah. Forgiveness releases us. God, the beauty of God is that he expects us to learn from his mercy. He's not trying to give us this lesson and go, you really need to grow in this thing. And he's like, let me show you how this is done. And that same spirit that empowered Jesus and raised him from the dead lives in us, he says. Which means we have that powerful forgiveness. We just choose not to. Yes, Glenn, but you don't know what happened to me. I don't. I don't know what happened to you. But God does. He faced 
when we get the right view of him, a punishment that is unlike any punishment that we deserve. It's not like slapping the king in the face, which is just wrong. It's the king laying his life down, which, which just kind of breaks the equation. It's just you can't really make sense of it. And he says, learn from my mercy. James says, for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. But yes, we like judgment. But mercy will triumph over judgment. What he's saying here is that if it's justice we want, we'll get it. But we'll get it. So if we don't forgive, does that mean I will forfeit my God-given pardon in his kingdom one day? Is that what he's trying to say? If you don't forgive, thanks for attending church all your life and for believing in me, but it's not going to happen. John Piper explains it really beautifully, that if you think that the deed of your forgiving is one of your fruits of your union with Christ, of when we're united with Christ, one of the fruits is that we get to forgive then if one of your fruits has not yet ripened into an act of forgiving, it would not necessarily prove that you're not united with Christ. Does that make sense? Forgiving others is the fruit of being united with Christ. If we don't forgive but we are united with Christ, it just means that that fruit hasn't yet come to maturity. Because there are other fruits to show the reality of your union with Christ. All of our other acts of forgiveness in our life are testifying to that reality that we believe in him and his blood is covering us. But what it does mean is that we get to live in a space devoid of the presence of God. And they talk about moving into this uh, winter of the soul. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's not always from our unforgiveness, but it's moving to the space of the winter of our soul that they call it. And what God is saying is that if you don't forgive you're going to be stuck in the separation from me and separation from your brothers and sisters around you. And that's not what you were created for. We were created for warmth in relationship. I look around this community. I mean, even before the meeting, to try and get everyone to be quiet is ridiculous. Because there's a genuine love here. There really is. But then I was wondering, how much unforgiveness is there here? And I don't have an answer to that. I was just wondering as I was prepping. There's an element of our lives that God's like, you've got to be free from this thing, man. It's going to chain us. It's going to be like those balls on our legs, and we just can't run at the pace that God wants us to. Can we forgive a person who doesn't think that they've done wrong, and we think they have, and if they don't ask for forgiveness, can we forgive them? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Papa again says that the answer is that we can and we must. We must do our part in the forgiveness. This is what Jesus meant, I think, when he said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. We don't wait for them to do their half before we do our half. We must be rid of bitterness and grudges right away. We do what Jesus did on the cross. One great miracle has already happened in us when we forgive we're not responsible for the other miracle of repentance in them, but we are to attempt it with love. That's the part we bring to forgive, even if that person never repents. That's not our problem. 
Our problem is not forgiving. That's our problem. And so, like Christ, we must initiate this reconciliation. And that's hard for us. We do the best we can, and then you get people who get offended with you, and maybe you sin against them. But like, can we not just get this thing right? We can, if we will forgive and if we will repent. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of repentance and forgiveness. We thought it was just monetary blessing, didn't we? It's not. It's repentance and forgiveness. That is the kingdom. He's saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Sweet. Go and forgive everybody. As I have forgiven you. If another member of the church sins against you, go, point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Not on a microphone, not on a Facebook page. Go to them alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you're not listening to, take one or two others along with you, people that love that person and love you, and we'll go and speak to them so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Get someone to come and help you. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or as SARS. How hectic is that? How hectic is that? This forgiveness thing is not a small matter in the kingdom. It's not just an add-on to, ah, oh, we actually just believe in Jesus and there's other stuff we need to get about. He's saying, kingdom come. One thing he speaks about is forgiving others and receiving forgiveness. Ongoing repentance and forgiveness is the way of the church. That's our way. We constantly go on, we mess up, but we repent and we forgive. We repent and we forgive. A lot of earthly or worldly authors will write about um, forgiving others and kind of what sets us free. It does. It's kind of a side effect. The real thing that it sets us free is before God. That's the true freedom that we receive from forgiveness. But with it comes peace of mind. With it comes this lightheartedness about our lives. Have you held, ever held unforgiveness? This is a heavy thing to carry, eh? Can't sleep. It just messes up your perspective on everything. Yes, Pete. God just wants us to forgive, that we can live in that freedom. Even though that psychological and emotional freedom isn't the thing, it's a wonderful byproduct, and I'll take it any day. So forgiveness is not the same as forbearance or enduring tolerance or avoiding. So Matt's offended me. I'm just going to not go there, and I'm just going to forgive him, but I'm just not going there. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Ah, well, I'm just going to forget what happened, and we just move on. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an elimination of all consequences, and we're going amen to at least that one doesn't mean all consequences disappear. If someone offends or sins against a child in a sexual way, it's not like, oh, we forgive you and just carry on. No, no, no. There will be consequences, and the Lord has given us the law to bear upon these people. So it's not eliminating all consequences. That part, even for us, even if the Lord forgives us, we ask for repentance and are forgiven, there may still be consequences. Can you deal with that? David, Bathsheba. Forgiveness is not a feeling. We trust and hope that it comes with a feeling, but it's not, I just feel like I'm forgiving you. No, something actually has to be done. 
Forgiveness is not the private, solitary act of an individual heart. I'll just, in my room, just forgive them. No, there's a transaction that needs to take place. And the interesting thing about us talking about the kingdom and singing all the we's and the us and the ours is that your unforgiveness taints the rest of us. My unforgiveness puts a chain on your leg. There's a community part of unforgiveness and forgiveness which we need to embrace. Forgiveness is not selfish. It is not motivated by self-interest. So I actually want to forgive them because I'm feeling down and I want to be alleviated. That's self-interest to forgive that I may benefit from it. We actually forgive that it may reunite us with God and reunite us with that person. And lastly, forgiveness is not the automatic restoration of trust. I forgive them, we're just back where we started. It doesn't work like that. And so there's a process in this, absolutely, and that's what we have community for. We have incredible pastoral types in this community who can help us walk these roads, have these conversations, sort out this conflict. But for us to remain in a place of understanding that because of this incredible mercy and forgiveness that Jesus has brought upon us, come on. We've got to be a community of forgiveness. We have to be. Otherwise, the kingdom will not come here. This will not be a kingdom church. We've got to be a church that holds short accounts with one another. It's okay to offend other people. I do it all the time. I don't enjoy it. I just say stuff that I think I'm being incredibly nice, and afterwards I find out I've been offensive. Uh, thank you, Matt. <laughs> and so Matt's got a lot of unforgiving to do. But am I just going to be like, listen, I don't care how you received it. Just toughen up, buttercup. Or am I going to go with a repentant heart and go, I'm really, I didn't intend to offend you. If the word offended you, that's something very different. But if me, just in my humanness, offended you, I really am sorry. And repenting, asking for forgiveness, restoring that relationship. It's not easy, and it's not going to be easy. But God is calling us to be that community. Hold short accounts. I'm pretty sure I've done something to offend you. I'm pretty sure your last church leader did something to offend you, and you're projecting that on me. I'm pretty sure. Why? Because that happens. We do that. I'm pretty sure one of your parents offended you, and you're projecting that onto somebody else. I'm pretty sure. But we've got to deal with the stuff. It's not going to evaporate. We've got to engage with it. I want to end with this last story. While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery, clearly by herself, because there was no man there. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin.
Who are you in that story? Jesus? What about the Pharisees? Lord, look what they've done. Bring your justice. What about the crowd? Yes, I can't wait for this judgment. Let's roll, Poppy. I think you and I are the woman caught in adultery. That's who I think we are. Jesus wisely upholds the law. He doesn't say it's fine, carry on. He says, go and sin no more. But he resisted their false zeal, that zeal of like, oh, we want to see justice. Jesus wants to see a zeal in us for mercy. Because mercy is going to trump justice. Mercy is going to trump judgment. He wants us to be a people who are zealous for mercy. How do you keep forgiving these people? I don't know. I just have to. I just want to. Something driving me as I've understood how much I've been forgiven. As I've been caught out and stood up before the crowd, I just want to forgive everybody. Can we become a people like that? Keeping short accounts with one another. I'm moving life group because that, like, oh, no, I'm just moving on. No. We've got to deal with that stuff. We've got to deal with that stuff. So, to end off, are you holding a fence? That come the tough questions. Are you holding a fence? If you, have, if you are, how long has it been? Is there a long one? Because the mercy of the Lord may run out on that one. It might. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. Are you holding a fence and how long has it been? Are you withholding forgiveness? Anyone coming to mind? How quickly do you forgive? When someone offends you, how quickly do you forgive? Can I ask us to not be a people who sit on these things so that they build up out of proportion and then when we actually deal with it, it's like World War V, where actually someone just stubbed their toes. But if we deal with it quickly, that's not what I meant. Oh, okay. Because for the last six months, I've built it up to you really mean, in fact, you wanted to take my dogs away and it's like, what's going on here? We build, we make stuff up in our minds. Can I ask us to be a people who quickly forgive? Are you angry with God? Is there forgiving that needs to happen there? Because I can promise you, he's not going to need to be the one to repent. I think in that situation, I think we swap roles as the king and the slave, and we become the king and try and hold God to account. But if we can just remember how kind and merciful he's been to us, all of the scripture's encouragement for us to forgive others is because of how much Jesus has forgiven us. Let me ask again, how quickly do you get offended? And how quickly are we going to move from this place now to repentance and to go and ask for forgiveness and to go and forgive? This is practical. We're walking out of here and this stuff has to take place. We can, oh, yeah, lack of preach. I'm going to remember that. Made some marks in my Bible. It's even in my diary, journal. But I'm not going to go and do it. If you want the kingdom of God to come into your life, we've got to walk out of these doors and go and put this into practice.
I can't make this sound nicer. Jesus was like, whoop, there it is. I've just added on a little bit of stuff here. But go back and read that. This is not complicated. We've just got to actually get on and go and do it. And I want, I praise that we will be a community who keep short accounts, quick to forgive, that we could be quick to receive forgiveness. Yes? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, while this is a very simple message, it is incredibly difficult for us to walk in. Lord, you know our insecurities, you know our imperfections, you know our weaknesses. But God, we want to be a people that see your kingdom come into our families, see your kingdom come into our lives, see your kingdom come into this church. As we walk out of these doors, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to say the same words as Jesus, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In every given situation where we are offended or sinned against, every single one, Lord, there is none that is big enough for us to hold on to. There is none that is small enough for us to hold on to. God, whether it's family members, whether it's something from the past, whether it's something present, whether it's a spouse, whether it's our children, whether it's a work environment, where injustice has entered our lives and we're holding this offense, God, would you highlight it in our minds? Would you make us so aware of it that we cannot sleep until we deal with it and settle it? You have given us this ministry of reconciliation. We don't get to sit here and wait for you to come back. We take this gospel message, which must impact our lives first, and to bring reconciliation between broken relationships in our lives. And as we do that, we're going to find our ears are more open to heaven. You wanting to bless us, you wanting to lead us, because we're willing to represent you, to be an image of you as we forgive. And God, would you help us to do that as a community, Lord? When we hear one another's words and we can hear bitterness in the language, we can hear offense. God, I'm completely amazed when I think of you and Judas. And you say to your 12 closest people, someone here is going to turn me in. And they look around going, who's he talking about? God, if Jesus was on my team, they would know exactly who I was talking about. God, how is it that you can have him with you and treat him just like the others who you love so dearly? God, would you make us that people? that in speaking to us and asking us about somebody else, that they wouldn't be able to pick up any offense in our language, any offense in our attitudes, any offense in our snide remarks. God, help us to audit our words in this week and find out where that offense truly is lying. And above all, help us to forgive. We entrust ourselves to you, Holy Spirit. Empower us. Go with us as we leave this place. We love you and thank you for this message of the gospel. In your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go out and forgive.